Hello and welcome back to the Breath of Rebellion podcast. I have with me today Alex Myers. He's a Gemini rising and sun and a Sagittarius moon. He considers himself to be a transhumanist armchair futurist. He's a fan of thought experiments, ideation, transparency in conversation, behavioral economics. But the real reason I asked him to be a guest today was because of our shared interest in consciousness expansion. I believe Alex to be a thought leader and a rebel and just an all-around kick-ass human. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Wow, thank you, Haley. That was an extremely <laughs> kind uh, introduction. It means a That's lot, thank intro. you. Yeah. Okay, so I invited Alex on the podcast because I do consider him to be one of the most conscious men I've met and something that I feel especially in the Des Moines community is kind of lacking. I feel like Alex is a great role model for men who are walking spiritual path. So I'd really like to dive in. Um, can, you, can you expand upon your bio just a little bit? The transhumanist armchair futurist, tell us what that means to you. Yeah, and so just to preface, uh, trans, this, is, this is from my, my Twitter, um, perhaps needs some revisions, but the transhumanism is fascinating to me. I love reading a lot of speculative fiction um, or science fiction. I don't like to go too far out where it's not very realistic. I like to be like, oh man, we could implement that tomorrow if we got people to you know, work together and this technology enhanced uh, to a certain degree. But transhumanism is essentially a concept where um, it's, it's philosophical in nature, but it's devoted to promoting research and development of uh, human enhancement. So we're having a conversation right now, Haley, but there might be a time in the world where you and I could be sitting across from each other, having coffee or eating or whatever that looks like in the, in, with technology, uh, who knows, but uh, we could be communicating without actually speaking, without using our vocal cords. We could be sending each other information back and forth. And the amount of meaning, the amount of emotion you could get from the thoughts that I'm creating in my mind that's transferring to you, because there's a lot of noise, isn't there? There's a lot of noise between what's happening in our dialogue right now. We're on an internet connection. We're speaking over video. You know, our eye contact is, is somewhat, you know, based off where the camera is. Um, so it's, there's some, there's some friction there. And I, I would love to see a society, now there's a lot of downsides to this, right? You could hack into somebody, you know, it's very human of us to think of the worst case scenario. Well, if we had this technology, people could manipulate each other all day, or you could hack into somebody's brain and get them to do whatever, whatever you wanted to. Uh, any number of things, the thought experiments are endless, but I tend to be uh, of, the per of the type where there's a lot of potential and being able to do things with technology to enhance um, consciousness and, mm. uh, you know, psychedelics, uh, various personal development programs, meditation, they all allow you to remove yourself and become an observer of what's going on in the world. And mm. transhumanism is, is simply a, a different philosophical set that's similar to that. So it's, it's, it's technology, essentially that's created by humans that allows humans to experience consciousness in a deeper state. And this could also include something like if I were, if my physical body were to die, if I were to be hit by a truck, um, 
technology could exist to cryogenically freeze myself, where the connectome in my brain could be in a static state and they could take certain memories and then they could put that in a digital virtual reality world. And then my daughter, who misses me very much, could communicate with me mm. in some form and have a memory of me to take with her if I were to somehow randomly die. So that's another part of the transhumanist music. It's just wild to think about. But that's why I think it's a, a cool topic. Again, there's it, a lot of negatives there. There's a lot of things that people will say about it, but I think there's a lot of potential there. And I, I choose to be optimistic about that. I, I love that you brought it up actually, because what was coming up for me while you were talking about this um, nonverbal like consciousness exchange, I don't know if you have like dove into like the celestial timeline at all with like the yuga periods. Um, so I just learned about this in my Jyotish training earlier this year. And yeah. we, we're in an ascending time period now. We thought we were like at the very bottom of the dark age, but we're actually moving upwards now. And there is a point on this cycle, Satya Yuga, where or Satya Yuga, where we can communicate non-verbally and we don't need verbal communication and gender norms and identities float away and everything becomes more fluid. And then you talked about how that could be, you know, a, ne a negative thing, right? Because there could be um, malicious intentions, whatever. But mm -hmm. I don't think we can get to that. It, that point doesn't happen until like those things start to fade. Like that doesn't become an option for us to do until consciousness is elevated to the point where those you know, um, darker, more malicious intentions kind of go away. I don't know. No, I, I agree. And, you know, we, there was a reason why humanity needed a certain kind of structure um, because we needed, we needed to grow our society. So there was rules put in place to get people to adhere to certain narratives. And now we have all this technology, we have all these choices. And we're starting to realize that there are different ways to manifest uh, ideas in the mind, to be with people, to think um, that are outside of that traditional status quo structure, right? So whenever you try to create categories, um, whenever you try to silence people's speech on how they want to express themselves, um, that doesn't scale. What do I mean it doesn't scale? <laughs> it means that you're keeping people from expressing whatever it is they want to express about themselves, whether it's their identity, whether it's their ideas. And, you know, whenever, um, you know, I think of, you know, uh, I don't want to get into this topic too much because I'm uneducated in it, but I always think of every time I get emotional when I hear certain parts of Martin Luther King's speech, you know, I have a dream. And he talks about content of character. And I always think about that deeply in a sense of, we have to get to a place with humanity where uh, the color of a person's skin, in this example, is ambiguous. It's about as arbitrary as hair color. Um, and the same goes with sexual identity. The same goes with all these things. We have to allow people to be whatever it is they want to be. And the more we can understand how to be, um, how to be fluid and how we think about things that, um, not everything is black and white. Things are always somewhat ambiguous in between different things. Um, you can still think that way um, and, a lot, and, and make choices that are better for humanity. You could work together and figure out a solution. It, you don't have to be, oh, I'm on this camp or I'm on this camp or I'm in this tribe. 
I'm in this set of people. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. It's a very simplistic way of thinking about the world. Um, so yes, I know exactly what you're saying. I won't go on that point too much farther. <laughs> uh, but this like, it's just the nature of the mind expressing itself in these like desires to identify, to belong to something. Like mm -hmm. if I'm this way and you're not, then what does that say about me? It's this like into over -intellect intellectualization. Um, compartmentalization of thoughts and opinions and oh anyway okay yeah. um yeah okay so Alex I'm really intrigued like so for you that are listening I have only known I've known Alex only a brief amount of time but we've um connected through like basically just a shared interest in self-growth like this little group of us right like just really interested in expanding consciousness um optimizing our human experience so do you mind telling us a little bit about your journey, your personal journey, like where you were, where you are now and how you got there? Yeah, um, I'll try to be succinct as possible. I, uh, I didn't have all that interesting of an origin, at least I don't think so in relation to other people. <clears throat> um, pretty traditional family. Um, I started out in Atlanta, Georgia, geographically, right? I, um, my parents got divorced, which is statistically very common. Um, I was around seven or eight years old. And then I moved with my mother to Minneapolis. And during that time, um, I became, because I didn't, I was starting to learn more about myself and what made me happy. And, you know, when we're, when we're growing up in life, we reach for the easiest signals that are available, the easiest uh, structures. And for me, that was food. Um, so I was a very, a very chubby kid, uh, as, as uh, they'd say. It's very um, husky, as my mom liked to call, to call it, because she loved me very much. Um, and, you know, I went through that period where I decided, you know, I really like, I really like uh, girls, really like girls. I really like the opposite sex. So uh, this seems difficult if being unhealthy and not being able to have fun and not being able to really navigate or talk because I'm always tired because I'm eating all the time. I was, I was probably about 220 pounds and five, three, like no muscle tissue. Um, this is when I was about 11 years old. Uh, so I spent a few summers with my dad who was very much of, um, you know, you need to be more disciplined. Uh, you could start to see how there was friction in that relationship as far mm -hmm. as my parents go. Um, and so I just started running like, like Forrest Gump. I just started running all the time. And I started uh, changing my diet, you know, with the help of my dad. That is one thing my, my dad was um, did for me that I will always appreciate and admire. It took me some time to do that because I had a lot of other stories about my dad um, and I had to get free of those, but that's one thing he did for me that set me on a trajectory that was good for my physical person. My mom was always very good at keeping me emotionally uh, secure and happy. And um, she really helped me build empathy and kindness towards others. Uh, so yeah, and then college, uh, I finished high school in you know, Northern Iowa. Uh, I traveled a little bit after college, but during college is when I started to, you know, I. I was a male cheerleader, but I took women's studies. I had a minor in women's studies. I think statistically, like I might've been the only person who went to Iowa State ever who <laughs> was a male cheerleader who took women's studies. 
Um, so uh, there's a whole story for why I took that, but it, go, it comes down to a memory that I had when I was young with my grandfather, who um, he was in hospice care at his home. He had liver disease, he had diabetes, and he was about to die. So they asked me to go into his bedroom to draw his hands because I, I like to draw. And for the funeral, I was asked to draw a picture of his hand because everyone always thought he had beautiful hands. And this is a man who through toxic masculinity, pure machismo, he's a Mexican-American man, um, came from Mexico, you know, uh, created his own business, real estate, um, very successful, uh, but his relationships suffered because of this hypermasculinity. Uh, he never told me he loved me. Um, you know, he would ask us to stand at attention. He would always take his belt off and, and, and you know, snap it to uh, put fear into us so that we would do his bidding. Um, and that was my relationship with my grandfather. And before he was about to die, I was drawing him and he, he grabbed my hand briefly and he looked at me and he said, I love, and that was it. He was gone. And it took me a while to realize what he was about to say. And it always makes me emotional, of course, because here's this man who went his entire life that couldn't say those words to his grandson. And I decided then that I was going to make certain decisions that would avoid that from happening again, mm. where I would never be that human being who would not show emotions to others and tell people that I love them, that I couldn't be authentic with them, that I couldn't be with them. Um, and so that was, that was kind of why I took women's studies. Um, the funny juxtaposition was the male cheerleading because I really like gals and I wanted to <laughs> get into a relationship with women. And so then there came this weird relationship with food. And then I had uh, bulimia for many, many years. Um, and it was kind of that, you know, wanting to be athletic and strong, but wanting to do all the partying and somehow, you know, have a cheat code for all that. And uh, that worked for a time until it, you know, ruined my teeth and I had to get, you know, uh, dental surgery on my teeth uh, years later. Um, and it was stability in my relationships that, you know, ultimately got me to a place where I realized there wasn't a lot of value in um, bulimia anymore. It was uh, quite a struggle. Um, it's been about six years now. So being married, being in relationships, being authentic with people, um, whereas for a time it was all about you know, I was impressive to people because I can eat a lot of food. Like I did eating contests. If you go downtown to Jethro's, um, like the original Jethro's, you know, in the Drake area, like mm -hmm. you'll see my face there. I did, I did it in under 15 minutes. So wow. there was a time in my life where that was a point of pride. And that was like where some of my self-esteem came from. So the sense of loss of trying to move away from that, like this is what, this is what I did. And I even had friends that supported this horrible vice that I, that I had. Of course, they didn't realize that I was bulimic. They just thought it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but then I realized that that wasn't scalable. That wasn't something I could maintain. And uh, yeah, eventually with stability and relationships and other things that happened, I, I got away from that. And yeah, so here I am now. 
I do project management and consulting and that's it. Um, sorry, that wasn't very short, but uh, hopefully that's no, no. things. No, it was, it's great. I, I love that story about your grandfather and how that, you know, pushed you into, um, it's, it's almost like just getting more in touch with your divine feminine because the feminine energy within us is what can express mental, emotional, the masculine energy is of course the doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, how does that continue to play out for you? Like, what are you, what are you doing right now to constantly improve upon that? Well, um, it's very, it's very simple and straightforward, but, um, the only downside that I see in everyday life is I'm very, I'm not always perceivably all that great at small talk because <laughs> I do like to be with people in interactions. So um, it's funny. I go to the gym every morning. It's a habit, you know, um, makes me feel good. It's why people exercise. I think at least one of the reasons, at least it is for me. Um, I do it because it make you know, it gives me euphoria. It makes me feel good. It's the same reason you do yoga, right? It's my, it's my form of meditation. And I know that in this environment where all these people are talking briefly with each other in between sets, you know, it's these very quick pieces of dialogue and it's all just formalities. Like, how was your weekend? Or did you see the game last night? Or, oh, the weather's great. Like, how are you? And then it's brief and then it's over because people are working out, right? That's the focus. Then there's this interesting thing that happens that I noticed that like, People are consistently starting to come. I don't know if it's because of me. Uh, that'd be nice, but uh, it doesn't really. Either way, it's it's nice. There's a sauna. I told you about this before, Haley. Like, there's a bunch of guys that go on the sauna around the same time, and they're talking about their wives and their relationships, or you know, the pu- the puppies they just got, or their children, and we just talk. And um, just today, someone's like, "Hey, I didn't see you on Tuesday." He was. This was this saddened him. And it made me feel very grateful that I can have, you know, somewhat deep conversations in a short period of time with a bunch of men who are, you know, trying to relax and they could just be on their headphones listening to something else or on a podcast, but people have stopped doing that entirely, at least in the the people I talk with and they're engaged. They're like, Oh man, I never thought of it that way. Or, you know, it's, it's amazing. And it's the sharing of ideas and it's a bunch of men talking and I can tell because they've told me they want to replicate this in their lives, but like, it's like the only 30 minute piece of time that they can do that. And that's, and so that's how I do it. I mean, when I'm in the world and, and in a weird way, this helps in, in work too. If you can, if, if there's, it's a skill set you learn over time, I've done personal development, you know, the psychedelics helps in a weird way, which we can talk about, but again, it was very structured and intentional for how that helped. Um, and I couldn't have done it like 10 years ago and had the same effect. So we could talk about that, but it was mainly, it's mainly for me that I feel whole in the world when I can be with other people. And at the end of the conversation, I can say, I really enjoyed this interaction. I hope you did too. And they can look me in the eye and they could feel the meaning that they got from it. Um, even if it was a shorter conversation. Um, so again, I would much rather have meaningful interactions throughout my life and create things for other people. So I'll say something and they could take that idea and make somebody else's life better and so on and so on and so on. Um, the infinite game just keeps being played. This isn't a finite thing where I'm like, I'm telling you this, 
I win, you lose. I'm, I have power over you because I'm smarter than you or I'm trying to get something from you. This is a transaction. People can see right through that. At least many people can. So I try to avoid that. And what's funny is it actually makes you more successful. But you don't learn that until you actually know how to do that. And you have to be yeah. in the world and you have to be able to be vulnerable to get there. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the tough part. Yes, vulnerability. So these stories I've played out for so many years now with men and vulnerability and, you know, being told as a, as a kid, I mean, I grew up with a sister. I didn't have a brother, but it was so obvious to see like when a little boy's crying, like, don't cry. You know what I mean? Crying is a form of weakness. Um, how um, you're very in touch with your emotions. I mean, I've seen you cry numerous times and I don't even, I've only been in your presence probably less than 10 times. So what was your path like to get there? Like, cause you had to do, there was some work involved, right? Like growing up one way, yes, your mom was very emotionally available. Your dad sounded like more of um, a typical, um, you know, slightly toxic masculinity there. But what, what was that like for you, that journey and learning how to accept your feelings and express them? Well, it was, it was a feedback loop, really. You know, when you're young, as a young male, there's, again, it, we're all, we all just play games in life. And when you know it's a game, you could start rising above it, mm-hmm. but still kind of like interacting with others and still kind of playing it because it's what they understand and you want to be, you know, considerate of them. You want <clears> to <throat> be in it, but not of it, right? That's a yoga. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, exactly. Couldn't have put it better. So when I was when I was younger, there was this thing that I noticed about interactions. And so there would be this disconnect where I'd see a film and I'd see an interaction where people had a, a meaningful, deep connection. And so I, in an abstract sense, I knew what it was. Um, Goodwill Hunting is a perfect example, right? There's so many scenes in that film. And that's what films are, are useful for because they can help uh, conceptualize emotional circumstances is like, oh yes, I felt like that before. I, that, that, that's how I felt like when my you know girlfriend broke up with me, right? Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't actually feel that myself. I didn't. I've never experienced that thing that I saw in films. My body had a reaction to it. You know, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I felt this sense of awe. You know, this sense of catharsis. Like wow, like those people understand each other. But when I was in my 20s, I'd have these interactions with the men and it was always like, it was always about like, I'm going to say something. And the point of it is to make you feel bad about yourself so that your self-esteem is lowered so that you show me respect. Mm-hmm. It was all, now in retrospect, it's all very, it was all very formulaic. It's like, okay, if I treat this person a certain way, I can feel like I have control momentarily in my life. And then I can go back in my car and drink the rest of my, you know, 40 ounce beer um, and then numb myself out and then go to sleep. You know, and that's an extreme example. But usually what I saw was that kind of interaction. And then uh, men would often figure out a way to excrete that somehow. So they would they would have these interactions with other men um, very like objective um it's about it's always about something like um we have to do this to get to we have to do x to get to y 
Um, and it was also very about control, like um, mm. the feeling of I can do this better than you. And I want I want you to know that uh, so that, you know, you know that I'm this person and you're that person. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they would always have these weird ways of just outputting everything else. So all that meaning they had, it would go into physical violence. It would go into a sport or it would go into drinking or it would go into just um, some activity where they could take all of this energy where they could have had a meaningful interaction and they just displace it somewhere. Um, and again, it, it all seemed very formulaic to me, but it, it bothered me that I never had any interactions like that myself. So there was always this disconnect in what I saw in films and what I believed about myself and like how I had to be in the world. So my self-esteem was not there because I didn't have the feedback loops. The feedback mm -hmm. loops are other people in the world. So I didn't have some of the men I know now, which I'm very grateful for, um, who truly care about my growth. They truly care about how to make my life better because they know that I care the same for them, that I want the same thing for them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's maturity. I don't know how that transpires. Uh, that could be hours of podcasts on that, but. Oh yeah. Um, well, well, what you're describing, like this interaction between, you know, um, less conscious men, right? It sounds very transactional um, and very like analytical and almost like the idea that power respect is finite. Meaning like mm -hmm. if I give you respect, then I lose some or, you know what I mean? This idea yeah. that it's quantifiable. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, uh, oh my God. I just totally lost my train of thought. Like I got really deep into thought there. Um, no. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing yeah. all of that. It's amazing. Um, I really like the way you're talking so freely and openly about this because I honestly have not spent a lot of time with men in my life over the last three years since I really started getting more serious about my own personal growth and really wanting mm -hmm. to surround myself with people that were also concerned with growing, you know, I mean, people who accept me exactly the way I am, who I accept them the way they are, um, and we can help each other versus trying to like constantly one up each other. And mm -hmm. I consciously took a break from men because I had been so disappointed with men in my life. So again, I wanted to reiterate that this is one of the, the reasons I have you on here is because you're such a great role model, especially for men who are just beginning this journey, because getting in touch with your emotions and being comfortable enough to um, allow them to release, even in private, let alone like in front of other people, um, is mm -hmm. such an integral part of, of growth for men and women, really. Um, yeah. Let's... And, uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, none of it would be possible without people in my life who can help manifest it within myself. So mm -hmm. that's my daughter. You know, mm -hmm. she, she hasn't been worn down by the world yet, right? So to speak. So she, I can look at her and say, I love you. She can look at me straight in the eyes and say the same thing. And she can, she can mean it. And we can look at each other. We can lock eyes, right? And it's something, that's a form of stability. That's a form of reinforcement. Um, so I have to be extremely grateful that I have 
these rocks of, so to speak, of stability in my life. If I didn't have them, I would have to cultivate it myself. And mm -hmm. frankly, I am not sure that I could. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that if I didn't have uh, Shannon, my, my partner, if I didn't have her to help, uh, you know, convince me that I, you know, that I am worth more to others than I believe myself to be in some random moment, you know, where I feel down or I feel unintelligent or I feel whatever. Um, she helps reinforce that that's not the case. Um, and we do that for each other. And then I have my mm -hmm. daughter and I have some of my friends that which you know, and, you know, these are men that I could say things to. I could say anything. I could say anything that I wanted. I can give them a hug and kiss them on the cheek. I can look them in the eyes and I could be with them and they could be with me. And that is the most grateful thing I can ever imagine a human soul could want in, in the world. If someone can have that interactions, job promotions, like money, like it'll all come because mm -hmm. it, if you, it, it's funny how that works. It's a paradox mm -hmm. really. Like the more you focus on trying to be something that you're not to try to get a certain thing, um, people can see that and they see a sense of fear and you're like, oh, you really need this job, right? Mm -hmm. But if they know that you don't care about money, you care about solving problems for people, you care about being with people. And as a side effect of that, you're also doing a number of ta tasks that are your, that's your role, right? Um, people are attracted to that. And oh, again, yeah. it's, it's the weirdest thing. You see that with relationships too. I mean, um, people want to try to control others so that they can increase trust, but the, but trust actually means trusting that person to, to have their own agency, their own decisions. And that in mm -hmm. itself increases trust. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just, there's a lot of weird paradoxes in life that I, I learned that uh, not everybody has because they don't have access to those people who reinforce those things for them. So. Oh, exactly. And it's like, it's so synchronous how one interaction, like I say this to people all the time, one conversation can change your life. One interaction, one chance meeting, which isn't really chance, not in my opinion, um, is, is enough to like make people think. I mean, I know like one conversation with a life coach three years ago changed my life, changed the course of my life. And really what you're talking about is the, the feeling is the energy and the frequency behind our actions. Um, it's not really the doing, it's how we feel when we're doing it. Even when I talk to people in my coaching, um, we talk about like, not like the, the benefits you wanna get from meditation and breath work. It's like, how do you wanna fucking feel? How do you wanna feel in your life? Like many of mm -hmm. them are like, I feel like I should love my life, right? The external, I have all the things. This was my story too. It's like, I'm reiterating my story. Had all the things, why do I feel so discontented? Because we have to work on feeling content. What will make us, what, what, how can we invoke this inner feeling? And it reflects in our external. It's really beautiful. Um, but yeah, Ooh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this, and this, you, goes, this goes down to this, just like you were saying, I mean, this goes down to the biological level. So it's not, so emotions translate into uh, how you behave in the world and how you behave in the world changes how you make decisions and how you make decisions means like, are you going to eat this food over this food? Or are you going to do this activity over no activity? Right. Mm -hmm. And so you think of something like I'm a very, I tend to get, uh, you know, I'm, I tend to be as, as scientific and then I, but there's also like black holes and there's dark energy and dark matter that, it, that we know is there, but we don't, can't explain it. Like there's a lot of 
stuff in the world that we can't explain. And that's, that's beautiful. But I tend to be on the more like scientific side of things. So I'm just like, it's, this is, this is human aging, right? Like, um, uh, someone could age faster than somebody else simply by that catalyst of how the lens by which they see the world, because mm -hmm. everything that comes after that is, you know, our cells replicate. That's what they do. My muscle cells mm -hmm. turn over, they turn into new muscle cells, my skin, my organs, right? Um, but the quality of that happening over and over and over until I reach a certain age, that can degrade a lot sooner if I simply have a negative feeling about the state of the world, the state of my mind, the state of how others perceive me. And it changes every, it trickles down to every single thing you do. So if you want to guarantee someone to age faster, <laughs> you take someone who's extremely neurotic, um, take someone who, uh, you know, has had, you know, first 10 years of their life, they never had, they never had adequate shelter. They never had adequate food. You know, it's, it's always amazing to me how people are like, oh, you know, that person should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, you never had any bootstraps to begin with. You never had a choice. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's that lottery of birth, right? I'm extremely lucky to have been born to a family where I had access to shelter and food. So I'm extremely lucky that I'm at a point now where I could even consider what self-actualization even means instead mm -hmm. of like, oh man, I have to, I have to pay this bill. So how am I going to feed my family? Like those are the kinds of decisions that so many people have to make mm -hmm. that, you know, that's no surprise that of course they're going to be short-sighted. Of course yeah. they're going to buy stuff to make it look as if the world is in order when it's absolute chaos. Of course they never knew the difference. And that is what life is for me. I so I want to help more people understand that there is a difference, mm -hmm. that they can get there. And it's unfortunate in our society that we look at that as like a character flaw too. Like mm -hmm. being born into poverty or, you know, homelessness is like, it's somehow um, we identify that person with that and their character and their ability to be in the world. Really sad. Mm -hmm. um, man, you're just like, <laughs> I knew you would do this to me. I sit here and like my brain just goes and I'm like, just keep going. I don't even know what to say. Just keep going. Uh, we could touch uh, do, on anything. I do have um, the word psychedelics written down because it's not something I've talked about yet in my podcast. Yeah. And I know I would really like, um, you know, one of your friends, one of my friends too, Andy, to come on and talk about his experiences. But I would love to hear about, and I think everybody else would too, about how psychedelics have played into your journey and how they've supported you and, you know, shown you some doors. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a different thing depending on the time of your life that you're in and what this, this, the set, the setting and the dose, right? You'll hear a lot of people in the space talk about this, but it's so, so critical because unlike something like alcohol, which is a normative behavior at this point in America, it's like, it's a carpet bomb for the brain. It just numbs everything down. It, it reduces inhibition. It, it hits completely different um, neural receptors in your brain. And, you know, it's just, it's the standard go-to. Right. So there's so many ways to try to make analogies or metaphors to what it does. Um, there's so many. And, and I would just tell anybody, you know, people who are, who take the big five, you know, personality test and, you know, they have pretty low openness. You know, they would never, they might not have any exposure to this and they don't want to. 
Uh, they like their structure and that's fine. You need people who are conservative in the world uh, to keep things, you know, somewhat static and not, you know, but you also need people who are extremely creative, extremely open, who are always thinking about new possibilities. You do need both in the world. People forget that. Um, but it changes how open you are. Um, it, it truly does, but it has to be under the right circumstances. So I've taken, you know, things like mushrooms in college, but it was with alcohol. And I was with, I was in, I was in a state of mind where it's like, oh, we're going to parties. Like, and it was secondary. The intention was never, I'm going to take this singular plant that has been, that has existed for thousands of years that has been used in many different cultures in the spiritual context, um, how to die before you die, you know, as far as eco death is concerned is what's usually referenced, right? How do you die before you die? And what does that mean to your life if you could do that? You know, that's like the deepest place you can go with that stuff. But, you know, every major university now, it's starting to become a normal thing, like Harvard, Yale, they all have centers where they're studying um, various psychedelics, whether it's uh, MDMA or others. But psychedelics is, for me has really been about opening up different channels in my mind to understand, to, to get more meaning, to increase the possible meaning of any, of any potential interaction I have. Um, so I did some personal development coursework. Um, and the simplest way to explain that is if anybody ever wants ever read self-help books, there's self-help books, which you can read and try to digest and you can even review them if you want. But it's different than you're, when you're in a group of people who are all basically uh, letting out all of their baggage from their life. And you know, they're very emotional. And when you create it, when you can create a group dynamic like that, where you're saying you're basically helping people unpack things and get rid of all the stories they have. So there's things that happen in people's life. Okay. When I was seven, my dad spanked me. Okay. And, or he, he punched me in the face and I became unconscious. Right. I woke up. I have this story about my father for the rest of my life. I haven't talked to him. And when I do talk to him, it's, it's never useful. It's never helpful. We always hate it. Um, yeah, and I'll never introduce my daughter to him. You know, that's somebody. That's somebody that exists in the world right now. And so this personal development thing I did was kind of interesting, uh, an interesting juxtaposition to the psychedelics because I said, I thought the whole mantra of this dynamic, which was, there's something that happens. So you and I are having a conversation, okay? That's what's happening. But the narrative we have when we finish this conversation could be different. Mm -hmm. You could leave this conversation and say, oh, Alex, you know, he's kind of a, a crappy person. I didn't like how he, how he said that thing or, you know, this is how, this is how interactions go. Is that something happens, the story is everything else. And that story can be maintained for a long time. And it could be the primary narrator in, in how you make a whole bunch of other decisions. So it just seeps in and it could be very, very negative. And so um, understanding that was amazing. But again, the group dynamic is what 
gave it all the context to actually make it useful. I couldn't have read that in the book and got the same benefit. And so within a month of that time, I, I also did psychedelics, but it was under a very, um, this, this was ayahuasca, for example. And so um, the thing that I got from that was interesting. I knew that there was like a special diet beforehand. The intention was everybody, and this is not something that you could have if you're just like at a party, like, hey, let's take some mushrooms. Mushrooms can be, you have to remember that all any, the psychedelics, the way to get benefit from them in any way is to have the right intention and to be under, you know, supervision, to have support, to have a goal or an idea going in of what it is you want to try to process, what it is you want to try to improve in your life or see more clearly or figure out, am I really, you know, thinking about this the right way? It's basically like your mind is clay that, uh, you know, is being, is being shaped and the clay uh, becomes loose. It becomes fluid again as you're shaping it. And so psychedelics puts your brain in that state where it's, it's like clay. Mm -hmm. And so you could create a completely unusable vase if you had go in with the wrong intention. Like if you go, if you go, in, if you go into an ayahuasca ceremony and you have your phone with you and all the while when you're, you know, through the six hours, you're going into this experience and you're getting Twitter notifications or... Um, you know, Instagram notifications, and you're looking at photos of some picture and you have FOMO because someone's off on some, you know, uh, island somewhere and they're having fun and you know this person and you feel all this stuff, self-doubt, loathing, you know, that's not the right intention. So yes, all of these things that are being done in clinical settings or, you know, in, in South America, right? Um, it's all under the premise of this has to be highly focused and that's quite on purpose because again, this is a mold. This is, you're, you're making your brain, your consciousness more malleable. And so how you want that to end up at the end is pretty important <laughs> because you could have a completely awful experience. Again, like if you have your phone or if you have a negative interaction, if somebody calls and it's somebody you don't want to talk to, it's about something that you have no intention of bringing into your experience, that could completely and utterly ruin it. So that is why today there is so much like, oh, I would never do that. It's because they've had so many of those stories where there was no intention. Um, there was no goal in mind. It was taken with a bunch of other drugs. So mm -hmm. you couldn't like isolate the variables. I mean, you can get as scientific as you want here, but if you're trying to address something, that's mainly what it's doing to your brain. So that could have a positive, amazing outcome. It could change your life for the better. Or it could be something that you might not ever do again, because it certainly isn't addictive. That's not the point of it. The point of it right. is to expand things. So for me, uh, I'll sum it up like the ayahuasca thing. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever like seen uh, Gladiator um, with Russell Crowe, but there's this scene at the end and it always makes me very emotional. Like when I was deep into this, there was a lot of things that happened that I, I realized. Um, one, one of them was the feminine, but I'll get to that. One of the visions I had was, it was all black and white. And at the end of that film, there's a scene where he's about to die again, death again, right? Except this was ego death for me. And my daughter was uh, 
she was older. She was a few years older. And I saw her walking with presumably her mother through this wheat field. And I saw her hand going over the wheat. And it was the most beautiful vision I'd ever seen. And this was manifested in my mind through this ayahuasca experience, right? And I knew I wanted to think about my daughter. That was the intention. I knew I wanted to think about my family and growth. But this is what came up for me. And she looked at me. She turned. So I saw her when she was older. And it was the most beautiful thing to see your offspring uh, happy, you know. And, and so it was a very, very strong memory that I'll never, ever forget. And so those are the kinds of things uh, as far as the benefit for me. The other thing that was interesting, uh, this is ayahuasca, but again, you, you have similar things with something like, uh, uh, you know, the South Simon, like mushrooms, right? Mm -hmm. If it's the right setting, um, was all these men were in this yurt, right? A, a, this circular, you know, building. All these men were in this yurt and they were all like, huddled in the fetal position. Uh, some of them were vomiting. Uh, you know, that's what ayahuasca does because it's a plant chemical, you know, it, it, the way it digests, you know, it can cause people to vomit. And here's all these men in this yurt. And there was plenty of men and women who were at this event, who were at this ceremony. And we all talked beforehand as far as our intentions. But here was all these men in this, huddled in this area in a yurt. And then I had this, I could look outside the yurt and I saw this fire. And I saw all these women from the ceremony out there and they were all talking with each other, laughing. And they were all, they were all having a wonderful time. And I just was like, all these men are in here vomiting and just feeling all their emotions for the first time probably. And here's all these women just doing the feminine, right? And it was so clear to me why it's so important to have the masculine and the feminine, but very much so the feminine in this case. Um, and that will stick with me for the rest of my life. That here's, it was basically a, su a summary of how it was being a man throughout my life. And the potential that I wanted to see in myself as a, as a human being with seeing all those women just engaging with each other and experiencing this amazing thing together in front of this fire, you know, and they were, I think they may have even been dancing around the fire. Maybe that was just a figment of what was happening in my brain, but I feel like they were dancing too. And they were free. They were free. Wow. Beautiful. I have never done ayahuasca. Um, but I've been feeling that call as of recent. And so thank you for sharing that um, with me. I Something stuck with me when you were talking about like the setting, setting an intention, um, mm -hmm. really becoming clear on what it is you're trying to unearth. It just reminds, like, I think in this conversation is going to go like this, but like the mind and the consciousness needs focus. Like that's what people are confused about is they don't understand, even like with meditation, people think that like um, closing your eyes and thinking is meditation or um, true meditation needs one focal point. Like 
the mind needs a single pointed object in order to get to the subconscious, in order for the conscious mind to float into that subconscious to unearth the unknown there. It's like, it has to be pointy, right? Like you have to get like something super razor sharp in there. So it just, this was all kind of like coming together for me, like being very intentional, choosing one thing to focus on, choosing your intention. It's just an alignment, even with meditation. And then um, using psychedelics to get clear on something in your life. Like you have to hone in on it. People's awareness needs work. I mean, it's just so distracted. We're all like, you know, little cats like chasing toys and we can't figure out shit because we can't get clear on any, any one thing. Um, amazing. Wow, Alex. You are probably one of the most interesting people I know. Um, kind. I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing sure. stuff. I have no doubt. I think we'll have to do this again sometime. Um, because I just love listening to you talk. I feel like I just need to take a back seat and just let you run the show here. It's amazing. Um, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Um, oh man. Um, thank you for your kindness and for broaching a lot of these topics. Uh, uh, of course I didn't anticipate getting emotional, but that's, that's the beauty of having all the support in your life where none of that, none of it really matters. It's, it's, are you, are you making anyone feel whole? Like that was my goal today. And I know it was yours too. That's why you have this mm -hmm. podcast yeah. is you want to make a few people feel whole, even for, if it's for a few moments, if they hear something and it just makes them like, I understand this, I feel this. Um, and uh, that's all we're trying to do in this, in this life. Um, so thank you so much for allowing me to talk. Absolutely. It's exactly why I just hold the space. I am not like, I don't consider myself to be this like Joe Rogan, you know, type podcast host. Like I want people to share their stories. Like I know that when I was the shit that I have gone through, um, if I read a story or read something that resonated with me the feeling that it invoked and the impact it made on me was so significant. So I do feel like I'm meant to hold space for people to share their story and to keep sharing. I'm an open book. There's not much that I um, haven't put out there. Um, and it's really just so people have the opportunity to be seen, validated, to know they're not alone in this, uh, in this journey because we are all a lot more similar than we think we are. Um, just, you know, unique expressions of really the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, okay, Alex. Well, thank you so much. Um, Thank you. I can't wait to have you as a guest again. I appreciate your time today. So Alex Myers, everybody. Would love to do it. Thank you, Haley. Awesome. Take right. care, everybody. Bye-bye.